two sides to every story. Two sides to every story. There's, there's a side of, when I think of my story and you think of your story, um, don't we all have an ideal of like what we'd like our story to be? Like this is the ideal and then this is the reality. And sometimes there's this great disparity between like what we want it to be and what it is. And I, I was thinking uh, uh, back in my, I was in college and my, uh, I, I was in the, a 70s kid, so yeah, I'm that old and in college, and, and in the 70s, if you were a guy and you had a good mustache, man, you were living, okay, and I had a pretty healthy mustache, uh, but my roommate upped me one, and that is not only did he have a nice mustache, but he had a fro. It was beautiful, man, and this thing just stood, he, every, he would pick it every morning, and uh, we all were like envy. He was my best friend. His name was Sammy, and I'm like, I used to look at him and go, man, if I had that fro, man, that, that looks so good, so I remember... Um, I finally made an appointment. I said, okay, well, here's what I'm, I'm going to go down, and I'm going to have a perm done, you know, because I had straight, long, black hair, and so, and so I went down, and I did that. At the same day that I was doing that, for the very first time in my life, I had responded to the call in my life to, to preach, and so for the very first time, I was going to preach, and, and, and so I thought this was going to be, like, my big day. I was going to show up. I was going to walk in looking stellar, fro, and then I was going to deliver a message that was going to blow their minds. I was going to have them laughing, crying. You know, they were, I was going to crush it. Well, here's what actually happened. Here's the reality. So that was my ideal, right? But, but the reality is that um, they did all their chemical stuff in my hair, and, and I got home, and I looked at it, and it looked awful. And as a matter of fact, it was all tilted to the side. And I'm like, and so I'm doing everything. I'm like, you know, doing all this stuff. I'm trying to make the fro work, and it's not working so well. And so I'm really nervous, and I get there, and I'm speaking at this church, which is actually the church I grew up in, there's like a hundred students there, um, about like a lot of our students here today, and um, super nervous, get in there, I give my message, it's done in about three minutes, I get lost in my notes, it's horrible, and I got crushed, the only thing that crushed really was my ego that day, it was absolutely horrible, so here was, here was my ideal, what was my ideal, I was going to look good, I was going to preach good, here was the reality, terrible, terrible. Well, today, we're going to expand on grace, and, and, and grace is an ideal. It's an ideal, and it's a beautiful ideal, and grace is something that we want in our life, but a lot of times, it doesn't match the reality in our life, and so today, we're going to talk more about how to get into the reality, actually live it out. Not that it's just an ideal, but we actually experience grace in our life. So I'm going to throw a few things out here, and if you're an unchurched person, um, you might be going, what? Okay, it's kind of new to me. And if you're a church person, you'll, you're going to catch on real, real quick. I think one of the reasons that there's not, I, I'm just going to just say, there's a lot, a lot of churches across America, one of the reasons a lot of people don't go to church and all the surveys tell us is that they don't think Christians have a lot of grace in their life. And they think churches are kind of judgy. And truth be known, a lot of times churches are kind of judgy. And sometimes Christians don't have the grace that they ought to have in their life. And I believe that there's a really, really good reason for that. And, and so here, here, here we go. In the Bible, if you're new to the Bible, you, you know, you, you pick this book up and, and you start reading from the very first, you know, Genesis, you know, and then you're in the first five books of the Bible. That's actually called the Torah. That's the law. And then you go through the, the prophets and all the way through. Um, that is actually, there's, there's what we call um, covenants. Now, the very first covenant that happened was with a guy named Abraham. And God made a covenant with Abraham, chapter 12 of Genesis. And he said this to him. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And through you, all of the world is going to be blessed. All nations will be blessed through this covenant. This is after the fall of humanity. And, you know, God's trying to resolve that. 
later on, he makes another covenant. This time he makes the covenant with the nation, the nation of Israel. Now, if, if you read the first five books of the Bible, you're looking at it and you're going, that's really interesting. They have to eat certain kinds of foods. There's a whole bunch of kind of foods they can't eat. There's all, they have certain kinds of ways that they have to dress. Cut their, if you're a guy, cut your beards a certain way. Um, all the guys have to get circumcised. If you don't know what that is, Google it, please. I don't want to explain it right now. But, but you know, so there's all these things that you have to do. Now, those two, tests, those, those two covenants were the old covenant. And then along comes Jesus. And, and Jesus brings in, he ushers in an, what we call the era of grace. And, and he says, I've come to bring a new covenant. I've come to fulfill everything that was in the old covenants. And so I will be the sacrifice, literally, I will be the sacrificial lamb. I will die on the cross. And I, I will pay for all of the sins of everyone that ever lived. So this is the New Testament. And he says, and by the way, and this is where a lot of churches don't get it. He says, we are now under the New Testament. We no longer live under the rules of the Old Testament. The Old Testament had a lot of rules. So maybe you grew up in a church like that where they were still instituting the rules of the Old Testament. What this does is, is it causes churches not to have grace. Because if, if, if you have a tattoo and you go, well, don't you know in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, it says you shouldn't have a tattoo, you know, whatever. I've heard people quote that to me. Says it. I go, yeah, but we don't live under the law of the Old Testament anymore. Okay? So for some of you, if you've had bad church experiences, that could be why. This might be that, that you are, have been a part of a church and they were living under the rules of the Old Testament. So today, as we talk about grace, we're going to realize that, that grace moves us. It moves us from being an outsider to an insider. An outsider to an insider. And so here's what that looked like as I was growing up. I grew up in a little tiny Pentecostal church in San Jose, California. And um, I remember every, every Sunday morning, uh, Sister Merwin, we called in that church, everybody was a sister, brother. I don't know if you guys ever grew up in a church like that. So Sister Merwin, who was the pastor's wife, would pick us up, uh, my two sisters and myself, and my mother, who didn't drive at that particular time. And she would throw us into her little white Chevy, and she would drive like a demon to church. She scared us half to death. And we, we would show up, um, I mean, if we didn't, want, if we didn't know God, we, we knew God by the time we got to that church, I'm telling you. It's, so we, we got there, and, and then we experienced a three-hour service, and a lot of the church was, we were, it was the kind of church that lived a lot of Old Testament kind of stuff. And, and there was what we would call, if you went to that church, there was insider everything, and if you were an outsider and you walked in, you immediately knew that you were an outsider. You, for one thing, you didn't, you didn't know their lingo. And this is a Pentecostal church, you know, some pretty crazy lingo. And, and you, you didn't know how it worked in terms of, like, how they acted. So you, you might be there. I remember one time I brought a friend of mine. My mom had this rule that, you know, if you spend the night over a friend's house, you go to their church. If they spend the night over at our house, they go to our church. I was scared to death of this, and it actually happened one day. And I brought my friend Mike to church. And I remember looking at him, and this is a crazy Pentecostal church. People are running around. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And I looked at him, he looked like he was having a stroke. <laughs> and he didn't know what was going on, and I didn't even know how to explain it to him, man. I was like nine years old, and I'm just looking at him, I'm like, I don't know. I just know that this is what we do with this particular church. So everybody from the, you know, if you come in, and, and you were like, you knew you were an outsider, and then we had all those rules. You know, I mean, God forbid that you would go outside and smoke a cigarette. You were going straight to hell. That was part of the rules. And you had to dress up a certain way. Everybody knew how to dress. And then, you know, no alcohol, no going to the pool halls, uh, no, um, what, 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 like, 
I mean, I just found out, you know, don't chew, don't hang around with girls who do, you know, all that kind of stuff. All those were a part of the rules. It's just a known thing. But if you were from the outside and you were looking in, you're just like, what in the world is going on here? So this is why we're going to move into Ephesians, because Paul begins to expand on this idea of outsider-insider, outsider-insider. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to start with a couple of verses, verses 11 through 13. Paul writes this book to the city of Ephesus, and he's actually planted a couple of churches there. He has a great heart for these people. Um, but a lot of, part of the problem, that a lot of, you'll find this in a lot of Paul's letters, a lot of his group is still living out of the Old Testament. And he's always trying to pull them out of the Old Testament into the New Testament way of living. So they have a certain worldview, and this is, this is where he sort of speaks to this. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God and the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, what, is, what does this say? And, and if you're brand new to, to the New Testament and to the Bible, you're going, that, that's kind of interesting language. So what does that all mean? Basically, he's saying this. If you are a Gentile, you knew what it meant to be outside. You were an outsider because the Israel, the Jews, called themselves the chosen people. Well, they actually were the people that God used to usher in Jesus, the Messiah. But Paul, who, by the way, Paul would call himself a Jew of all Jews, a Pharisee. Um, he would say, I was one of those people, but now I'm different. See, what, hap- what, what Christ did for us, it just completely leveled the playing field. There is no chosen and unchosen anymore. There's no, you know, you're outside, you're inside anymore. Basically, what he's saying is the party is open to everybody. Everybody is invited in to the kingdom of God. And his hearers would totally understand that because a lot of them were Jewish people that were still under the impression that, that Gentiles were out and Jews were in. So he ushers in this idea of grace, that grace reminds us of something, that now everybody belongs in the, in the story. That's why he says in this translation message, he says, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. So his hearers are going, especially his Gentiles' hearers, by the way, if, if you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. All right, just make it real easy. Okay, so all of, all, all of his Gentile friends are going, whoa, are you serious? Like, we're in. Like, we're in now. And all of the Jewish friends are going, they're in? How, what, is God lowering his standards or something? I mean, how, how, how come you're going to let them in? So this is the kind of complexity that was going on at that particular time. But again, Paul, the apostle of grace, is what he's actually called, is expanding on this di- idea of grace. Now, what is grace? We talked about it last week. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is a gift. God says, you know what? You didn't deserve it. The Bible says we've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all sinned. The wages of sin is death. But God goes, you know, that, that's all canceled by what I did at the cross. Your sins are forgiven. The blood covers it all. So grace helps me to get it. When I first understood grace, the first person I had to give it to was myself. I did. 
I don't know if, if you're, how you're wired, but I'm, I'm pretty tough on myself. And I just, I have a hard time forgiving myself. And I, you know, I, like, when I do something, I want to do it well. And, and when I blow it, I just, I really, I feel the intensity and the pain of that. And so I discovered when I really began to understand grace, I gave it to myself. And then when I gave grace to myself, I realized that I could start giving grace to other people. Have you ever, have you ever met people, and maybe you're one of those people, and you have no grace for yourself? And the chances are, if you don't have grace for yourself, you don't have a lot of grace for other people. If you're hard on yourself, you're probably hard on other people too. That's why it's so important that we get this idea of, I've got what I don't deserve, and it's a gift, and so I'm going to give to people what they don't deserve, even if they don't treat me well. That's why in verse 11 it says, you outsiders to God had no way, had no idea of any of this. You didn't know the first thing about the way God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. These are the people that are outside of faith, they're outside of God, they're like, what's going on with that whole God thing? And, and basically, Paul is going, the doors are wide open, the party is open to everybody, chosen or unchosen, however you would see it. Uh, Grace tells me that I matter. In uh, verse 12, he says, you knew nothing of the rich history of God's covenants, promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Basically, you were just outside of all of that. You were just kind of doing your thing. He says, the floodgates are open. Come on in. Come on in and see what God has for you now. That when we share grace, we get to help others, outsiders, become insiders. Nobody modeled this better than Jesus. That's why I always, I want you to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Over and over again, you see Jesus modeling for his own people, the, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, who are, are going, are you going to let them in? Don't let them in. And Jesus, every time you see him in a story, he's going, no, 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 let him in. That's why he came. Everybody is invited in. Everybody gets grace. And it, sometimes that's hard for church people. I don't know if you've ever been one of those parts, you know, I don't know if we can let them in. You know what they do? You heard about them? God, Jesus goes, no, no, grace says you get in. Let's look at some more verses here. Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 22. I'm going I'm to sort of wade through this a little bit and, and unpack it. And I encourage you to go back. If you, like, as I read this, and again, if you're new to the Bible, you might be reading this going, wow, it's kind of complex. So I'm going to try to explain it the best I can. For he himself is our peace. Who's he? Jesus. Who has made the two groups who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. He's made the two. So who are the two groups? Gentiles and what? Okay, all right. By setting aside in the flesh the law which, with his commands and regulations. Where was the law? Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament. That was the Torah, okay? His, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Let me say that again. One new humanity out of the two. So everybody's in, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both, both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Now, what's the hostility? It's that we're the chosen people, you're not the chosen people. He says no more of that. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to who, those who were near. For through him we have, ac- we have bo- access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. The temple is us. 
It's no longer a building like there was in Jerusalem. And in him, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Grace does something powerful. One of the most powerful things that it does, it allows us to transform division into diversity. Let me tell you something. When you bring a bunch of diverse people with different mindsets, worldviews, different politics, different life experiences, uh, just different places in life, and you bring them into one place and you say, okay, love each other. How many of you know that's probably a challenge? That's a huge challenge, but it actually happened. It actually happened. If you go back to the beginning, the formation of the church, chapter 2, book of Acts, Peter preaches, day of Pentecost, 3,000 people respond to the message of grace that Peter preaches. A little bit further, you begin to see a picture of the church, people gathering in homes, and all, that, all these house churches are all over the place. And, and who's, who's in those churches? Well, if you go back and research it, you'll find a very diverse group of people. For the very first time, you have men and women sitting together, what we would call small groups today, which usually was just men with men, women with the women before that. You have, you have Jews and Gentiles. That's a huge barrier that's been broken. You have all these different ethnic groups that are there. You, you have Phoenicians, and you have Greeks, and you have Italians, and you have all these different people that are coming together, and they're all sitting together. You have rich people. You have poor people. You have slaves. You have slave owners. I mean, it's just kumbaya, you know. They're all together, cats and dogs, you know, arm in arm. It's great. It's a beautiful picture of diversity way back then. So I fast forward to today. I remember in... Um, it was in the early 90s, and I was my, my first church. I was a lead pastor for the first time. And uh, as a new pastor, I wanted to do what every pastor wants to do. I wanted to reach my community. I wanted to, to grow the church. And so what do you do? Well, you go to church, church growth seminars and, and those kind of things. And so I remember started reading books and going to the seminars, and they, they had a thing called, which was kind of a brand new idea, the, the homogeneous concept or principle. And if you understand that principle, they said, here's how you grow your church. And, you know, I'm all ears. You know, I'm young. I'm like, okay, okay go. We're. So, so to build your church, make sure that everybody is pretty much alike. So because like, like's like, right? So, every, so you look for one demographic, and you go after that demographic. And, it's, you know, as I'm hearing this, I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't know. That doesn't sound like the church that God wants to build. But they're saying, no, 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 go for the young or go for the old, you know, uh, go for the middle class or whatever group you're going to go, and, and, and make sure that they all kind of have the same worldview, make sure that their, their politics line up and all this kind of, and I'm listening to the, and you know what, people, pastors began to do it and it worked, but it didn't work in a healthy way, not, I don't believe in a biblical way. Grace, grace allows us to be with people that are so different than us, they don't think like us, maybe in some ways they're even kind of offensive to us. And we say, you are my brother, and you are my sister. And it doesn't, care, it doesn't matter what color your skin is, it doesn't matter what your background is, none of those things, what languages you speak, it doesn't matter. That's what grace does. It, it breaks down those barriers. Ephesians 2.14 says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups, the two groups, not just Jews and Gentiles, but all other groups around the world. How many of you have noticed, if you looked at world history and even look at what's going on today, ethnic groups have a hard time getting along. Countries have a hard time getting along. People with different ideals have a hard time getting along. And Jesus said, I came 
to make all of that yesterday's issue. Not today. Not for my people. My people would be people of grace. So what does that mean for us? It means that you and I ought to have more grace as Christ followers than anybody else. That when I'm generous with grace, I can bring the kingdom of heaven to, to earth. Uh, just a few weeks ago, there was a whole, like, 170 people from our Newbrake campuses. And we went to, to Mexico. And we brought grace to them. We, we built eight homes for some of the most impoverished people over in Mexico. And we paid to do it. Hundreds of dollars people invested to go and to build, to, to sleep on the ground for a couple of nights and to drink really lousy coffee in the morning and to work eight hours a day. I mean, work really hard. And then at the end of that time, hand the keys over to a group of people and say, here. Like, who does that? That's because of grace. That's because of grace. That, that, that we give people, you know, I know, I talk to people about Mexico, there's all, you know, well, you know, that country is corrupted. Why are we helping them and all this other kind of stuff? I'm just saying, when you get grace in your life, you don't see, you don't look at people that way anymore. You don't look at countries that way anymore. You look at the world really differently. Hopefully, you begin to look at the world the way that, that Jesus looks at the world. Everybody has an opportunity to come in. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away. And peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both access to the Father by one spirit. I'm talking about the ideal. Now, is that your reality? Well, maybe not. Maybe not. But God's grace is what helps us and allows us to become the church. So let me, on a practical level, let me talk about how you can implement grace into your life. Do you have anybody around you that just really bothers you? And you don't want to give them grace. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's somebody that uh, you were, you know, works for you. Do you have a next door neighbor that really gets under your skin? You ever thought of instead of being mean like they're mean, you know, you start to just say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to kill you with love, man. It's going to be kind to you. I'm a, I'm a lifelong surfer, and surfers don't always give each other grace. I'm just going to tell you that we have rules in the water. And, and one of the rules is that when you get on a wave, um, some, no, somebody's not supposed to drop in on your wave. We call it a drop-in. But it happens all the time. And, and, and so, you know, sometimes people will do that, like, I'm riding a wave, and somebody, poof, right in front of me, and they cut me off, and I'm like, okay, that's grace right there, right? But truth be known, I do a lot of dropping in myself, okay? So I'm just, I try not to. I'm just saying for all the surfers out there, because I know you're going, Bombachi, you're guilty, I know. How about when that person cuts you off on the freeway? And you're, you know, you're getting ready to raise the finger up, right? You know, let's be real, let's keep be real about this. Or say something you shouldn't say. And about that time, just, just before you do it, have you ever cut anybody off? Ever? Okay. That's grace. When you go, you know, we're human. We all make mistakes. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. We do things we wish we could take back. And that's grace. And that's what the cross does. Jesus said, I came to make it possible for anybody. And he demonstrated for his life to come in to the, to the kingdom of God. So grace makes it possible for us to be the church. Let me say this. I, I was reading a, about a study this week that was done in North America. And I don't know if you know this, but on, on, a, on a larger scale, less and less people are going to church in America. Just, just a known fact. And they asked this question. Across North, all across North America, actually in Western Europe too, but here was the question. They said, 
do you think that you need to go to church to be a good Christian? Not just a Christian, to be a good Christian. Do you think that you need to go to church? And 81% of the people said, I don't think so. Now, I really believe that the Bible takes issue with that. Because I believe for us to really be people of grace, we have to do life together. And I know you can do online church, and we podcast here, and that's cool, you know, if you're not able to make it and stuff like that. But for the church to really become the church and to really be people of grace, we need to do life with people that are not like us. We need to do life with people that don't see the world the way, the way that we see the world. And here's what will happen. It will get you out of your comfort zone. It will. It will. That's why we have life groups here. And some, suddenly you're in the room with somebody and you're like, oh, man, this, I, just, I don't see it that way. You know, you kind of bug me a little bit. But, but you know what? You start to learn to love each other. And you get perspective from different people. And sometimes when you're with those people, they expose blind spots that you have in your own personal life. That's how the church grows. And that's why it's so important that it's like, well, no, I could just do church online. Well, okay, okay, if you're on vacation. But I'm just saying, let the church be the church and love together and live together and do life together in community. Folks, that's how, we, that's how it works. Jesus died for the church. He loves the church through and through. And you know what his plan is, is for the world? One plan. Plan A. There is no plan B. It's the church. The church, full of grace. No longer living under the Old Testament, old law, but living under the new covenant. So what, is, what does that look like? Well, basically, he says, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises, becomes a temple in the Lord, and you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God is the architect, Jesus is the foundation, and the spirit is the builder. That's how it works in our life. And so we are to be incarnational people. And what does that mean? Incarnation means in the flesh. Jesus lived for some 33 years in the flesh. He goes, here's how you do it. Here's how you be a person of grace. Now, how's that going to work for you? How are you going to do that? And that's your assignment for this week. Go out. How are you going to give grace this week? And we've got our crew here. We're going to have all of you here, and, and you're on the streets of Mission Beach and different places. How are you going to do it? How, how about those of you that tomorrow, Monday, go to work? How is grace going to work in that situation? Some of you are going to go on vacation. That's cool. How's grace going to work on your vacation? Are you going to be a different person or a person full of grace? Let's pray for a moment. Father, Thank you for grace. Thank you that you, you gave us what we really didn't deserve. It was a gift, an amazing gift, amazing love. I pray that if there's anybody here that has not received your grace to the extent that they haven't even given it to themselves, that this morning they'd realize the doors are open. The floodgates are open. To anybody who just comes to you, that's why you died on that cross. Their sins can be forgiven if they'll just ask. They can become that new human that you talked about. Help this church to be a church of grace. I pray that this church on this corner and these people will be known as people of love. They don't have to dress a certain way. They don't even have to believe what we believe. 
God, but we'll just love everybody. They'll find this to be a place of love and acceptance and forgiveness if they'll come here. That's the message. It's a message of grace. Thank you, Lord, for grace. And Father, may your grace extend to that person who doesn't know you this morning, who maybe has realized for the very first time, I'm in. I can come. I'm not a, I don't want to be an outsider anymore. I want in. I want, I want in on this glorious gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to um, receive communion this morning. And here at Newbreak, uh, we have an open table, which means anybody, if you're a Christ follower, you're welcome to the table. And we also, we, we call it, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, self-serve. And so when you're ready, and only when you're ready, you want to just give yourself time. If you need to pray a little bit, prepare your heart, however you need to do that. Uh, come on up, take the cup, take the bread, bring it back to your seat, and then we're going to partake together, okay? spoke a word you were singing over me you have been so so good to me for I took a breath you breathed your life in me You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the ninety-nine. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never 
this love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm bound, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, but still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. haven't been served, there's still opportunity for you to come forward here. I want to read to you from Luke, uh, beginning with verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's, let's take the bread. This is the symbol, the emblem of the body. And he uses the word broken. It was beyond broken. Every stripe that was laid on his back, the agony that he endured, it was for us. He was broken so that you and I could be made whole. Let's take it together. And then he says in verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant, not the old. We're done with that. This is a new deal. This is a new day. Everybody gets in. But my blood, my blood sealed the deal. My blood shed for you covers it all, which is poured out for you the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out to you. And it literally was poured out. Blood for my sins, your sins, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take together. Let's all stand together.
as we uh, go out of this place today, let's make this uh, this bridge of this song our our rally for each other and for ourselves. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. Let's hear you guys sing that. There's no wall you won't. You sound beautiful. There's no shadow you won't. to me there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no wall you won't kick down lie you won't say down coming after me there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no wall you won't kick down lie you won't say down coming after me and all the overwhelming never ending reckless love God oh it chases me down fights till I'm found Still you give yourself away Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love One more time guys have a, uh, a wonderful week. We're going to have some people who will be up at the front if you, uh, you need prayer for anything. And we have some stuff outside for you guys to hang out and spend some time together. And if you have any questions or anything, please go to guest services. They can answer everything. They'll wash your car for you. They'll watch your kids while you go out to lunch. You guys have a great week.